back, everybody, to yet another episode of Going for Two. That's the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter. I am the publisher of said newsletter, your host, Matt Brown. I'm joined here, as always, by my friend, my colleague, my co-host, Brian Fisher. Man, Brian, I um, I know that we could do another easy 60 minutes talking about craziness in Texas, about more conference realignment, about you, you spent hours watching a Texas Senate hearing. Um, which is something I don't I don't recommend here for anybody. But today I want to talk about a conference that could not be more different from Texas. Could the, where, where other leagues have the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, I want to celebrate and dig into a league that celebrates average, that celebrates the six and six, where anything is possible as long as it's not winning the conference because Clemson's probably going to do that. Brian, would you like to talk about the ACC with me today? I, I would love to talk about the ACC because I, I do feel like it's almost the most fascinating of, of the Power Five leagues. Obviously, there's there's the heavyweights in the SEC and all the drama going on in, in the Big 12, the, the Pac-12, depending on, on where you might fall in, on the spectrum of, of rooting interest, uh, might be interesting but out West. But I, I feel like the ACC is just such an interesting mix of programs. You, you got a lot of private schools. You have, uh, you know, certainly fallen powers in, in Florida State. Uh, to a lesser extent, Miami, you have North Carolina on the rise. Obviously, there's there's Clemson and, and the remarkable transition that school overall has been making in the last, say, decade, not just with Dabo Swinney coming in and winning national titles, but how they've really plowed resources into that football program to turn around uh, you know really the reputation of that school completely and I, I think it's just a fascinating league and when that's let's let's face it, it it's in transition they got a new commissioner in Jim Phillips they, they've got a, a host of uh, either 80s that are either incoming or, or likely out the door and so they're going to be making transitions there a host of uh, presidents that uh, are, are really some, some big names and and really over have some oversized influence so I think it's going to be uh, really interesting to see not only what the ACC is for this upcoming year but really where the ACC goes in the next couple of years as well yeah it is it is kind of a mix of everybody it's a very extra points ish kind of conference it's a conference that's really good at a bunch of different olympic sports um it's a conference with a bunch of really very different kinds of schools all over the place you're right uh, and one that's in transition on the administrative and coaching and all these other levels um i have spent some time in the acc footprint but i am not an acc expert so let's talk with somebody who is i want to go bring on my friend lauren brownlow She's the uh, radio host at 99.9 The Fan in Raleigh. She's a writer for WRAL Sports Fan. Uh, she is one of the Internet's finest purveyors of Go ACC-related content. Uh, let's bring her on here and let's, uh, let's interrogate her about all things ACC so we can better understand here what's going on. Lauren, thank you so much for taking some time here to chat with us. I, I, I think I'd like to start not by asking the, the the gigantic realignment questions because Lord knows we're going to get into those already. Cause that's the only thing that the internet wants to talk about, but there's, there's been something else that I've seen in the background of so much ACC coverage over the last couple of months that I'd love to hear your thoughts on there. I, I what, what I've been reading and, and talking for other people who know this league well is that there's a lot of the ADs and, and even, you know, coaches and other administrators really like new ACC commissioner, Jim Phillips mm-hmm. you know, came in here and, and, and won a lot of hearts and minds. And part of that, is this his his I wanting to transition the ACC into being known as more of a football conference, or at least focusing on being a football conference, and with the implicit assumption that even though the ACC has very good football teams or very good football team uh, <laughs> over the past couple <laughs> of years, it isn't a quote unquote football league. I, I'm wondering from your perspective, from what you've, you you know, talked to other people. What does it mean to be a football conference and what does it mean like practically to shift in that direction other than talking about football more? Right. I think that the practicality question is definitely a good one, right? Because, I mean, you can say you want to be focused more on football all you want, but it requires, you know, a lot of investment, a lot of resources, a lot of money. Um, And the ACC, I think, has the most private schools of any of the Power Five conferences so that that can with smaller alumni bases as well so that can be a bit of an obstacle when you're talking about money and obviously not every team in the conference has always traditionally had a huge focus on football but as we've seen in the college athletics landscape here in the last 20 some years especially like if you do not have good college football you are not making money as an athletic department and so I think that that's where that shift obviously is coming from in a big way is that you know the schools that 
that want to stay at a high level athletically understand that they need to have their football at a higher level in order to do that. But, you know, I mean, this was a league that was founded in, you know, the fifties and it was a league that was founded around basketball. Let's be real. I mean, this was, yeah. this has always been a basketball centric league. It's, it's always been centered around the Carolinas, which is, you know, much to the chagrin of some of the other schools in the league as well. Um, and, and, and it's basketball has always been a very central focus of the league in part, I think because of the success that it's had as a league, of course, but also just because that's the focus, that was the focus of most of the schools when it was founded. And that was what they were the most successful at and so um shifting that focus i think yeah it does involve a lot of talk and sometimes the talk can feel a bit hollow because you know like you said it's it's just talk i i think that you know they're gonna have to make a lot of decisions that maybe make more sense from a football perspective than from a basketball perspective where as i think in the past a lot of decisions were made i think with basketball in mind. And, and I think with the central focus shifting more to football, that to me is where some of that will shift is that, yes, we are just straight up coming out and saying, and I did think it was interesting. Philip said this at media day. He said something like, we're going to shift the focus to football and make sure football is number one, but not at the expense of the other sports. And I was sitting there thinking like, okay, that's probably not possible. That's not to say that he's not right, that they should do that. I think he is right. But at the same time, it's like, of course, there'll be a bit of a, you know, it'll come have to come at the expense a little bit of the other sports, but that's probably okay, is what, you know, I was parenthetically adding in my head. But still, it's like you literally can't shift the focus solely to football and not expect the other sports to suffer some because, you know, they probably will, at least in some ways. But yeah, I mean, the, it's just something that's going to have to happen if this conference is going to stay viable. The it's, it's funny you mentioned that because the you know, with, with the Pac-12, I think we had a, a very similar conversation. And I, I think it's worth kind of thinking about very specifically, what what are we giving to football that requires us to take something away from lacrosse? Is this just about like scheduling for the ACC network? Is it are we are we going to be asking schools to literally take funding away from other sports to to, right. to grow? Because yeah, because like I mean, Brian and I were talking about this with a couple other people earlier. The football facility spending. I mean, the ACC like median is probably below that of what the other power five I'm leagues sure are. Yeah. yeah. And like, it's funny looking at this, like Virginia's paying their football coach more money than like Florida state and Louisville <laughs> and uh, like Georgia tech. And like, obviously there's reasons for that. So many of those, a lot of those coaches are new, but that's not really what you would expect for like your third or fourth best coach in your conference to be at Virginia and to be Bronco Mendenhall. You know what I mean? Like that's maybe, maybe that's the thing that has to change. Right. I think that's some of it, too. Right. Is that like the traditional powers, whenever the traditional powers, quote unquote, in the league are down or at least the name programs, that's never an ideal situation. Right. So they would love it if Miami were better because Miami has a brand. Virginia Tech even has a brand. Um, if you know, if another school can come up and become a brand. Right. And become more steady and become a name that we talk about year after year, whether that's a North Carolina and NC State or, you know, Boston College under Jeff Halfley, who knows, although if he does a good job there, he's probably not long for Chestnut Hills anyway. But, you know, I mean, if there's another school that can do that, I think that they're like, great. But at the same time with and Florida State, obviously, that's a big one for them being down that that's something where your league's reputation is always going to take a hit if Florida State is not as good as they usually are. Right. So ideally, you'd love to have Florida State, Clemson, Miami, Virginia Tech be good year in and year out. And that's just not happening right now. It it hasn't happened since Miami joined the league. They haven't been the Miami that they were before that so I think that's part of it too is that the traditional powers in the league haven't been all that dominant and Clemson's just kind of been carrying the weight in terms of you know doing the heavy lifting in the league and and the the teams that we were used to seeing being good even Boston College to a degree right they had Matt Ryan when they first joined the league they were exciting they were kind of a more steady traditional power and then that's kind of gone out the window that feels like it feels so long ago 40 years ago (laughs) I mean right that was the 2007 season right that's when Kansas was good that's when South Florida was like number two in the like, country for a hot minute. Like that, that, that doesn't seem like that, that might as well have been like pre-integration. Like it's just a completely different era of college football. Boston college and Virginia tech are still permanent partners as a result of that rivalry. Like from then, like that's why that they're permanent partners to this day. I think it's like wake and Boston college are their two like cross division partners because I was like looking at sure. it the other day. Cause there's no good reason for me to like, when you look at some of these primary partners, it's like, why? And I'm like, Oh, right. Because Boston college and Matt Ryan and Virginia tech, that was a big thing back in the day. And now it's no longer a thing. 
<laughs> so you mentioned Jim Phillips there a little bit earlier. I'm curious. He took over in February officially. What has been the reaction inside the league for him taking over for John Swafford? Yeah, I think for the most part, his reception has been really warm. Everybody's been pretty happy with him. I think they feel like it's a nice balance with Phillips between a guy that understands the media landscape, understands the current you know, college athletics landscape, but also is, you know, he he's also on the administrative side and has a lot of connections there, which I think was important to them. It was a nice balance for them. They could have gone in a more media driven direction. And I know they looked that way. They could have gone in a more administrator strictly focused direction, but I think they wanted somebody that's going to improve their TV bottom line. And that's, that's what he's been tasked to do. And I know he's been kind of aggressively trying to go after that so far. Now, whether or not he can do that, considering how difficult it's going to be, uh, remains to be seen. But I think that at least so far, the honeymoon period is, is, uh, is a good one. And, and everybody's pretty happy with him so far in, in terms of at least what his stated goals are. So, so far, so good. Uh, let's talk about that specifically, right? So for those who are not familiar, the ACC is the only major conference you know, right now that uh, is not scheduled to get another bite at the TV renegotiation Apple over the next the rest of this decade. They have a long-term deal. They're set up on the ACC network. And that deal is is almost certainly priced under market. You know, that, that's what they had to take in order for ESPN to set up this network. And while, as I understand it, when the ACC network is added to Comcast, which is likely to happen in the next year and a half as Comcast renegotiates their deals with all of their ESPN channels, there's not a ton of ways to really get more money that seem obvious with the exception of, well, if you bring in Notre Dame, we get to blow up the deal and do anything else. Is there anything short of bringing in Notre Dame that could drive not like revenue parity to the big 10, but but any kind of significant extra money is this, is this something where you can where you could just create more conference games or change up scheduling or or I don't know cut costs somewhere else to potentially help some of these schools make a little bit more money from their television. I think that all of that stuff is being somewhat explored. Um, I think that he's going to do whatever is in his power um, to get a Notre Dame to join and to potentially. Um, because obviously the ACC, and I'm sure you guys know this, obviously, they, they don't have to worry too much about teams being poached right now because of that lengthy agreement. So it's a little bit of a double-edged sword, right? right. It, it's, it's a bad TV deal and it's not enough money, but at the same time, it does sort of preclude anybody from leaving for another conference for the short term. But I think that they do both from like a we need more money standpoint and from a we need to keep our members that need to stay here happy standpoint, they may explore something where they you know share revenue revenue unequally to keep somebody happy or something like that, like a Clemson, you know, you could see that being a scenario where they go in that direction. Maybe they give a little more to Notre Dame. Maybe they give Notre Dame some flexibility to do their own digital network or do their own network in some way and still bring them on as a member. I think that they're exploring a lot of these types of things to, to potentially find a way because beyond bringing in Notre Dame, like you said, maybe some scheduling tweaks here and there, but I, I can't see it making up a significant enough portion of the gap for it to be a big deal unless you bring in Notre Dame. I mean, really, to me, at this point, that's the only solution is bringing them in as a full member. There's been all these names sort of speculated of, oh, could the ACC add like a West Virginia or whoever else? And again, like I've been reiterating this time and time again, if you do not bring in someone that is going to increase everyone's revenue share, then it's not worth bringing them in because it's just another mouth to feed and it's just another way to split the revenue and it's not going to be worth your while. So, I mean, the only other scenario I can even remotely think of is if is if ESPN decides, hey, we want some of these teams to have a new home and we want you to take them ACC. And in that case, if I'm the ACC, I'm saying, well, you better give us way more money if you want us to take, say, Kansas, right? Like you better give us significantly more money yeah. to take on a team that's not going to help our football at all. Like, you better re- redo this TV deal if you want us to take Team XYZ, whatever it is. So, and that's probably why the AAC has been working with Notre Dame in that way to try to, you know, maybe get their own TV deal a little bit more or whatever to take some of the stragglers. But yeah, like, that's the only other thing I could possibly even think of that they could go to ESPN with and say, okay, we'll take these teams, but you guys better give us way more money. There's something very funny about <laughs> the, this kind of tor- torpedoing any kind of remaining flickering ember of the idea of college athletics not being a big time business. Like that gets nuked when the ACC (laughs) might literally say, 
we will absorb we will take a salary cap hit and absorb right. a bad contract in exchange for for you giving us a little bit more money down the line we will take your your seven year deal for a, a bad nba player which is i guess what your kansas is right 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 exactly That's- it's like a, it's like a fo- like a foster child arrangement or something like that or like you get like a stipend for taking on like uh, taking in something somebody like that or something it's yeah uh, the, the 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 rich mom paying someone yeah. to take their ugly son to prom <laughs> kind of kind of kind of a situation yeah, not not it. that I, not that i would have had any experience in that no like that's what never <laughs> never happened to me <clears throat> or anybody i know no let me let me let me let me ask you something a little bit different maybe on a, on a, on a higher note um one of the things that's interesting to me about ACC football this season compared to some of the other Power 5 leagues is, on paper, this seems like a league that might be ready for more coaching attrition or more coaching transitions than almost any other Power 5 league. I'm, I'm looking at this. I don't think I have to stretch too much to think that there could be five, six coaches on the proverbial hot seat. Uh, maybe others that, that under the right circumstance could be uh, encouraged to take a different job. Is there any uh, any school in particular that you are most interested in watching this year because you know that this is a make or break year for 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 that particular coach or program? Oof, yeah, there's there's a few for sure because like you said there's definitely some interesting situations although you know, it, this goes back to the money situation as well. There are also some schools that are in some bad financial situations, which would sort of prick, like normally their coach might be on the hot seat, right? Like maybe Mike Norvell would be in a little bit more trouble at FSU if FSU, <laughs> you know, weren't. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a good point. <laughs> even, even before the season started, Mike Norvell wasn't exactly uh, winning hearts and minds in, in Tallahassee. Again, that feels like four years ago, but like the, the, the kind of introduction <laughs> to him of the world was one of his players players calling him out over social justice yeah it was it's not been great in Tallahassee for several years now it feels I was gonna say it feels like forever ago because I was saying the other day I was like yeah it's been like a decade since FSU won the title it hasn't but it feels like it has Um, (laughs) it has not been a decade yet but it's getting there um yeah yeah. has no meaning no, it really doesn't. Um, Virginia Tech is, is definitely an interesting one for me with Justin Fuente. Um, speaking of not winning over your fan base. Um, yeah, he has not made a ton of friends there. His buyout also went down significantly from what I understand this past year. I think down to like $10 million. Maybe it'll be a little less at the end of this year. Because there was some speculation that Whit Babcock was going to let him go even after this past season with the buyout going down. But again, everybody's athletic department, even if you're cash poor already and then you have a pandemic, um, and you're already having to make cuts and furloughs and everything like that. It, it's difficult to sort of ask your donors for, hey, why don't you pay us to fire a coach and hire a new one uh, when you can barely get the kinds of facilities you want, which I know Virginia Tech's up against right now, too. So that's kind of a factor in all of these hot seat discussions. I think when it comes to the ACC, that's another interesting one, too, is that they don't necessarily have all that donor money ready to just go and buy out the coach when they get dissatisfied. Because, yeah, it just it, that's a little bit of a roadblock as well well for some of these teams you know it, it's, it's so funny you mention that because this was the conventional wisdom heading into last season's coaching search anyway it was like hey we're in the middle of a pandemic and everyone's financial resources are stressed maybe this will be a slower coaching search season and that didn't really happen it nationally really no but it did kind of happen in this particular league we, you know we, we saw that south carolina was willing to still throw stupid money uh, around and some of these, even some of these, these smaller leagues were, but you're right. Um, and that's kind of set up to a place where it might have a third of the league turnover. Uh, one quick note here about Mr. Fuente, uh, Brian, and then I'll kick it back to you. I, I want to just very quickly read over the names of some of um, all universities that signed higher ranked players in the state of Virginia in the 2021 football recruiting class before Virginia Tech signed their first in-state player. Remembering that Virginia was the, has been the cornerstone of Virginia Tech being good at football. So mm-hmm. Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, we all understand this. No one's going to be too angry about that. Virginia, that, that stings. Tennessee, that stings given what Tennessee is. Um, Pitt, not once, Oof. not twice, but three times. Here's the real, the real ones that sting. Toledo, Ooh. Coastal Carolina. Virginia Tech's highest signing in the state of Virginia, according to the 247 composite, 16th. Um, not even a top 600 player, not something I realized that recruiting was messed up last season, but if you cannot beat Toledo in your own proverbial backyard, you have significant problems. 
Yeah, it seems like he has not uh, endeared himself all that much, from what I understand from hokey people, uh, to the high school coaches in state. And it seems like he's sort of punted on recruiting all that heavily there at this point either, and is going like to other areas where he has more of a connection, um, which is fine if you win, but that hasn't happened yet. It's certainly not at the level they'd like to. And yeah, like you said, this has been a big part of Virginia Tech's identity and and it's just not a thing right now. Like they're not winning over in-state recruits. And again, it's fine if you win, but that's not happening. And, um, you know, that's something where if you start to get off track a little bit with your record and everything else, it's, it's going to be the first thing that gets pointed to as a justification for letting you go. So he's not doing himself any favors in addition to already having shopped himself around for other jobs, uh, Fuente. So (laughs) yeah, it's not good. Um, And this is a big one. This is just a big year for them. They have a returning quarterback. They have a lot of returning talent. There's, you know, they should at least be in contention in the coastal. If they have a disastrous year, I think to me, he's the most logical one for them to move on from and, and figure out a way to make it work financially and get somebody they want. It's, it's not like they start off slow with that schedule either. I, you know, I'm no, curious, you, you can kind of put Dino Babers and, and Justin Fuente kind of in, in their own category in terms of that hot seat. David Cutcliffe maybe in, in, in a different category, just given yeah. his stature there at Duke. Coming off the, the last couple of years that he's had, what's the outlook for, for David Cutcliffe? And, and is this almost a case of where he understands, you know, if, if he has another bad year, it, it's time to kind of step aside? Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, I have never seen... Um, him as sort of introspective he's reminding me a little bit of uh, not to not to go basketball centric again but like a little bit of Roy Williams towards the end of his tenure where Roy was just kind of like everything I've done is not working and I've just got to keep working at it and figuring out a way to make it work and then Roy stepped aside because he felt like he couldn't do it anymore and I wonder you know if we won't get something similar from Cutcliffe like you said Um, obviously it'll be his job as long as he wants it Um, because of what he's done for Duke football. I think it would have to get really bad for Duke to start, you know, uh, putting pressure on him. I think he would have to be the one to sort of make the decision that it's not working anymore. Um, And yeah, it's been weird to watch for sure. Uh, The Chase Bryce experiment went horribly, horribly wrong. You know, the pandemic didn't help for sure, but it just... It did not go well, and um, this is a big year for him, too. It, it, it cannot be as disastrous as it was a year ago, although it's hard to repeat. I forget how many turnovers they had. It was in the 30s, I feel like. It was a ton. It was 50, It was 39. That's what it was because it was 15 more, I believe, than the next closest team, and that was in a shortened season. Like, It's just crazy to watch. I think that – He's got a system and way of doing things, again, not unlike Roy Williams, right? And and I think it was hard for him to adapt that system to the circumstances of last year. It's a hard offense to learn as a quarterback, and Chase Bryce in a cramming session certainly was not able to get it down, and then there were not enough adjustments made potentially either for sort of the circumstances, maybe giving him things that were a little bit simpler to do, uh, fewer reads, things like that. It just it, it, it didn't work. Whatever it was, it didn't work, and, and Cutcliffe called the plays last year. He's not doing that this year but obviously he's still going to have a lot of input in how that goes and I mean look I think very highly of him as a coach obviously um he's been a joy to cover on a personal level we all love him around here very much he's like our our grandpa or our uncle that tells great stories or something we love him he's great but college football twitter loves him too (laughs) yeah it's just been it hadn't been working like let's just be real it hasn't been working quarterback play even with daniel jones like uh, even with daniel jones there were still cracks in in, in quarterback play, it wasn't as good as we had been used to seeing and Duke hadn't been as good. They've started making mental mistakes that they didn't used to make. And I mean, I, I just don't know. I hope he can get it back on track. I'd love to see it, uh, but it, it has not been trending in a very good direction at all. You know, you know, you know what would really get this back on track is that if he somehow manages to, to get Arch Manning and, and oh, it's just, yeah. it's just stick it along long enough to grab to grab another Manning. I mean, like I'm, I'm kidding, but I'm also a tiny bit not kidding. It, it, it is it is kind of funny. And really a testament to not just his excellent coaching career, but who he is as a human being, to somehow make a figure associated with Duke a nationally lovable character. That is absolutely playing on hard mode. Uh, and yet, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's done that. Uh, friends, if you are looking for an absolute sickos football game this year, uh, that would be on the 25th when uh, Duke hosts Kansas. We get to oh find out. God, yes. We get to find out how much this team has improved, or um, 
if you we finally cross the, the the Rubicon and getting all th- all nine very passionate Duke fans uh, ready to to actually push for change. Uh, I will not be watching that at all unless somebody's paying me to do so. But I'm sure somebody hey. else will, and they can tell me what happens. I I'll, I'll watch other Duke games. I'm just not going to watch Duke Kansas. Listen, I've I'm raised on ACC football, so that game can't hurt me. Like I am looking forward to that <laughs> game. That is appointment viewing for me. Okay, you can you can tell me what happens. I am going to be watching some 11 a.m. kickoff between like Illinois and spiritual Illinois and I'm sure it's going to be just as terrible um, the, that's, the, yeah. die, the diehards you mentioned though they are impatient and they oh, sure. are you know I, they are frustrated and they do love cut as a human and you know understand that he sort of earned the right to do what he wants to do with Duke football but they're frustrated and feel like it's not going in a good direction so they, they, they do exist bless sure. their hearts and no, they uh, they at me when I make some of these these yes. dumb lazy jokes right like and and it, it is probably like it's the most awkward situation here as a fan when it, when when beloved campus institution and and I think maybe Syracuse basketball fans are going oh, through this right now yes. and triangle basketball well, maybe less so triangle basketball fans but 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 like other other fan bases when it's like I don't want to root against this guy but also it's pretty clear that they're not helping the long term program by being where they are right now and how to push gently to give them the watch and and move on. Is, is a really challenging thing. And it's rare to see anybody really handle that with grace uh, and leave with their dignity intact, you know? Yeah. And I don't know what's going to happen with coach Cutcliffe, honestly, like I don't know how he's going to handle it. I don't know if he will want to hang on and try to rehab Duke football or if he's going to just decide, Hey, this isn't working and step away. I have no, I literally have no idea how he will handle this. Um, and I just hope for everybody's sake that it doesn't get awkward. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny because the the situation at Duke is is not just about David Cutcliffe. You have, yeah. you have a new AD coming in with with Nina King. Yes. You have a, a obviously the basketball program in a a big transition, moving away from Coach K. Uh, I'm just kind of curious. Does, does it feel like it's almost uh, a new league at this point? Because there has been so much transition. Roy's gone. Obviously, oh, yeah. you have a new commissioner taking over. The switch has been flipped, and and the ACC is is definitely leaving the past behind a little bit and, and moving forward. Does, does it feel like there's a transition? transition especially there in the triangle yeah I, I absolutely think that it does yeah I mean it's it, and it is it's like you said yeah with especially with KN Roy leaving and then you know who knows when Bayheim will leave but I did call it right that he'd be last I, I felt very good about that and and I'm still I ended up being right uh that he'll be the last to go of the of the old guard so to speak but yeah I mean I think you know with those two guys leaving it is a it's at least it's a symbolic sort of transition right of like well the two you know most established basketball coaches are gone that's not to say that basketball isn't still going to be important in this league it is but you know i can i can hear caroline literally (laughs) screaming in the background right now I said Tony the Bennett's old one. still here. Listen, I said the old guard, Carol. Just to be clear, Carol, I, and and as we all know, Tony Bennett, not old. Just no, saying, he's and a handsome Le- man. Leonard Hamilton, old but ageless, um, and coaches like a young person. So I don't count him That's in true. the old guard necessarily. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it does sort of se- seem to signal a, a bit of a transition. Uh, I don't know if it's ne- like I said. I don't know if it's necessarily away from basketball. I'll believe that when I see it. But you know. Uh, it definitely is is a transition and it's been a time of a lot of change and add that in with the whole conference realignment thing and i definitely feel like i barely recognize the college athletics world that i'm covering for sure because of that i'm I'm wondering who are some of the other important or or especially influential administrators in this league now because you have a new commissioner you have new transition that that's happening here at, at duke i imagine bubba cunningham's not going to be there forever either Right. Uh, at, at, at North Carolina, especially given how vocal he was about being NIL, uncom- yeah. Uh, yeah, uncomfortable with some changes. Although, although to Bubba's credit, and I, I have made fun of him <laughs> and criticized his being very anti-name image likeness, Bubba has been at the forefront of securing group licenses, um, both not just for Carolina alumni, but for current Carolina students. So he may have spent a long time complaining, but then he, when it, once he realized that it was all for naught, he was, he was going to be engaged. But you got you have new ADs at a couple of different places here. You have some new coaches. You have some new presidents. Who are the people that are the most influential in the room right now? Because as, as we all know, it's not always the people at the highest profile football and basketball schools, right? 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, I know uh, Wild Hack at Syracuse, John Wild Hack is somebody that they all listen to a lot because of his media background. Um, and I know he was somebody that was at least in consideration for the commissioner's role um, because of that media background, like I said. So that's somebody I think that they listen to. Um, obviously, anybody that works at Clemson at this point is being listened to. Like, that's just happening. I know that you're yeah. saying not everybody is football and basketball, but that's, I mean, they're absolutely listening to the Clemson people because what they want matters to them. And um, so I know that that those voices are important. Um, I, I will admit, I don't know the presidents as well in terms of like, who's the most influential, but um, I know that those are at least like Clemson and Syracuse. There's at least two ADs that are big names and people listen to Bubba, um, even though he's a bit of the old guard. So I think that is an interesting point that you made too, because yeah, he's not going to be around forever. And, you know, Duke obviously hired a very young AD. He was very forward thinking. And, and, and I think that UNC will do the same thing when the time comes. Um, but we don't know when that time is yet. And uh, yeah, so but he is definitely somebody that because he's been around so much and has so many connections that that people listen to and take seriously. You know, Boo Corrigan's still kind of a new voice in the room as an AD, but I think people like him so far and and, and what he's done. And yeah, I mean, it it's it's one of those things. I know for sure, though, that Syracuse is AD Wild Hack and then, uh, you know, anybody in the room for Clemson is somebody that yeah. they're listening <laughs> to quite a bit right now. Sure. No, Clemson's AD and, and president. Um, and, and probably some of the other like deputies in, in that raid over the next 12 months probably are going to have more influence than they might have before. Yep. If, if this is the if this is the, the time, if, if the goal was to ever push for unequal revenue sharing, this might be the time to do it, even though like I might think that's a bad idea. You have more leverage. Um, than, than you might have had otherwise. Yeah, and it's been actually something that's been pushed for for a long time. Florida State was has long been very dissatisfied with the amount of emphasis that some schools put on their football. I know they would push back about Wake Forest, for instance, who, you know, um, if you've ever been to a Wake football game, the facilities aren't necessarily what you would expect. They do have an indoor facility, to be fair to Wake. That's pretty nice. And they have rich donors that will pay. Um, but that's a donor base that cares more about basketball than football. Just full stop. That's that's what they care more about. But they still have a good football coach right now, and they've done some good things in the last couple of years. But that was they something have, they where have a great football State, coach. Yeah. Yes, they have a great they have a very good football coach right now. They ha- they've had some in the past as well, but it's just they don't put the amount of money into their program that some people do. And and Florida State, I know in the past has pushed for like, oh, well, they don't they, you know, even Duke football has been a pushback in the past too of like well they're not good and they don't put enough into it and blah 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 and we should get more money and yeah so it's 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 been a thing but yeah that's i think if you're going to push for unequal revenue sharing like you said yeah now is the time and clemson certainly has all of the leverage in the world to do that well this this wouldn't be an acc podcast if if we weren't talking about the Knowles either and and i'm curious that's a program and and really a school in in a massive state of transition john thrasher the president uh, is retiring they're searching for a replacement for him david coburn the ad i wouldn't imagine he's long for the job in the middle of all this is mike norvell and i I mean for a first-year coach it was obviously difficult with the pandemic thrown on top of it but what what do you see from Mike uh, in, in terms of turning this program around and, and just how how needed is it for ACC to kind of have that counterbalance yeah. to Clemson? Yeah, it's got like I said, like I was saying too at the beginning, it's got to be somebody, whether it right, whether it's Miami or or somebody else comes through and becomes like this steady, you know, solid team one A to Clemson. Somebody has to do it, and and traditionally, it's it, the ACC has been regarded in the best light when it's Florida State doing that because they have the best branding and history and all of that. Florida State, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, financially, it's not very good situation right now uh, at Florida State. You don't think that about Florida State football because you, you look at them and what they've done and you don't necessarily think of them as a school that would have money problems, but their alumni base is not necessarily one with as deep a pockets as some, and they don't have as much money flowing into the athletic department as some schools do. Now, they can, they can muster up the money if they need to fire somebody, and they probably would again, but can they get enough money? to hire the kind of name that they would need i don't know and and then it's starting to get a bit of a bad reputation as like irrational fan base or whatever because of everything that went down with willie taggart and it's it's just becoming a bit of a mess and i i don't know if they're gonna have the patience that they'll need with mike norvell who i do think is a good coach and and like you said had a bad first year on several levels um and but they need to have patience with somebody um because it's gonna take time um Jimbo Fisher, I think everybody assumes because they won the title when Jimbo was there that he left things in tip top shape. And 
everybody, people around that program will tell you that is not the case. Um, the no. offensive line was a hot mess, especially, and it's still rebuilding. Like that is, it's still rebuilding from when Jimbo was there. The offensive line, they they have just now gotten it back from being like horrible to like just okay or like bad but not horrible bad that's where florida state is right now and it's it's gonna take a lot of time i think to get them back where they need to be will they have the patience for it i don't know but i think if they end up having to buy out norvell again you know buy out a coach again and get another coach i think it's only going to set them back further and further Uh, you know i mean if unless it becomes clear norvell's not going to be the guy i I think they got to stick with him as long as they possibly can because financially i just don't see how they can afford to do anything else but yeah it's i don't see anything super florida state-ish at least from like what we're used to seeing from florida state happening with them for at least the next gosh what three four years maybe then that's maybe being a touch optimistic yeah they they were they really hit the transfer portal heavy to try and and plug some some holes in that roster and and we've talked about this before it's easy to forget because of how good they were right in the 80s and in the 90s and in parts of the 2000s that you know this was a teacher school not that long ago and while you would think that that doesn't matter for football that does matter for the people that are going to be giving money Yes. Right, it's, it was an all girls school for a while. I mean, yeah, yeah. Florida has been pumping out uh, generational wealth for had had a decades plus advantage in that department compared to Florida State, and even even somewhat with Miami, which is yes. a smaller school. Miami has bigger donors, yeah, bigger donors because it's all coming from the Northeast. And I know this. Um, you know, uh, one population that is that is very attracted to going to Miami, Brazilians and people from oh. Latin America with a lot of money. Maybe they're not giving money to the football program, but they are giving money to the school, um, which is like that's part of what makes Miami kind of a weird place. And that hasn't been some uh, that hasn't been a Florida State situation. When you couple that with the weird relationship with the uh, the booster club and, yep. and who's actually deciding where the money's going and, and Jimbo kind of setting things on fire on his way out. Yep. It's not really a, not really a good place. We haven't ha- we, we haven't had a chance to really talk about the Knowles. It may not from enough to be honest. You know, that, you know? that pe- more and more people are saying this really. Like I really I wish the co- national conversation was just centered around Florida State a little bit more. It's a bit it's we miss them. Things that we did, did not think I would ever say in two, after 2014. But most most Florida State fans I know right now, uh, at least the ones that I'm friends with and like, would probably be just fine with you not talking about the Knowles for a little <laughs> bit. They'd be okay with that. Um. Speaking of, of I, I guess, talking of things in the next couple of years, I, I realize this is probably an unfairly broad question, but since we're at a time of, <clears throat> let me use my like my serious professional administrator voice, like unprecedented uncertainty and turbulence in the college <laughs> athletics industry, right, or whatever it is that people are saying in media days now, where do you think the ACC is going to be in like five or ten years? Do you think the membership's different? Do you think that the program identity for some of these schools are, is different? What, what do you think are going to be some of the really big potential changes in like the, the short to medium term? I mean, I do, you know, I, I do think that they find a way to get Notre Dame in. That's my opinion. I think part of that is going to be because with the 12 team playoff, now you sort of seeing some of the motivations behind that. I think everybody else involved with that is going to push back some. And I think, I think all Phillips has to do is convince Notre Dame. And I don't think this is all that unreasonable, by the way, is that this new SEC is going to get like half the teams in probably of whatever 12 team playoff you might have. And if you want to make sure you have a spot, you're going to need to probably join a conference, right? Like that's going to get you in better position. I think he needs to convince them of that because if he doesn't do that, then they're not going to join because they'll have no reason to join. They don't mind making a little bit less money. And you also have to make it worth their while. So maybe you go to ESPN and you ask them like, hey, how much more would we be able to get if we were to add a Notre Dame? And then you come to them with the new figures and you tell them they can maintain some independence with a digital network or whatever, and you make it work. Um, To me, that's the only viable solution because – I think if you look five or 10 years down the road, otherwise, and you don't have a Notre Dame and you don't have a new TV deal. I mean, (laughs) I think, I think especially five years, especially 10 years down the road, because then you're getting closer to the grant of rights running out in 2036. And it becomes a little more financially viable for a team to jump ship. If they should want to do that, then you're going to start losing teams. Like at a certain point, you're going to start losing teams that 
don't feel like your situation is secure. So I, I think that they're going to have to figure out a way to make more TV money. They're not going to make up the revenue gap even with a Notre Dame, but at least they can make it closer because if you get doubled up by another power five league in terms of the revenue distribution, like that's not viable. So, you know, like at a certain point, you're going to be playing two different sports basically. Yeah. It's funny when I look at Clemson and as I understand it here, Clemson, uh, their institutional argument is our biggest athletic department goal is to compete in college football at the highest level. And we are going to spend pretty similar to what Ohio state and Alabama and other major programs spend on college football. But because we are not a national land grant, gigantic university, and because we're not getting $60 million from our television contract, we're going to spend less on other things, which is why we're going to spend the absolute sponsor, the minimum number of sports, the NCAA will let us get away with. And we're not going to put money into basketball. We're not really going to try in some of these other things. And that's okay because that's not what our community wants us to do. Right. And, And that, has worked. I mean, they got sued and they're going to have to add a couple other women's sports, but they're, they're, they're still, you know, at, at that, at that minimum. And that's obviously not what Virginia wants. It's not what weirdly even Florida state wants. Like they've been pretty adamant. Yep. We want to be good at other sports. It's amazing. North Carolina Duke as yeah. well. Even women's NC soccer. state, the, yeah. the NC state has shifted its focus as well. Since Debbie, you know, when Debbie Yao was AD, she shifted their focus a lot to Olympic sports and improving those. And those have improved significantly, but yeah. And that's, that's the weird conundrum AD's face, right? It's like you either get your football program to a point where you are like a Clemson and you're a juggernaut and nobody cares about the other sports because that sport is so good. And uh, that's where you're bringing in all the money or you try to hang your hat on the fact that you're good at all of these other sports and you're having success in Olympic sports. And that's all well and good. But at the end of the day, like to be financially viable as an athletic department, like you do have to prioritize football, um, at least to some degree. And so, you know, your your fans aren't necessarily going to care as much if you have a bunch of Olympic sports winning titles, if you don't have you know, a good football program and you're not making enough money, um, that's not going to be viable from an ACC perspective. So yeah, that's an interesting point. Cause I think it'll be interesting to see what Jim Phillips does if he's going to some of these schools and saying, Hey, like, it's cool that you have good Olympic sports, but, uh, <laughs> about the football. <laughs> yeah. We, we also have Twitter and we've been reading lots of jokes about the coastal division and we would prefer people not do that anymore. Um, <laughs> so we have to make some changes. I mean, that's also interesting because, you know, not, not to kind of completely drive this into the ditch here as, as we're wrapping up, but there also is an argument to be made that there's a diminishing returns point about money. Like we, we there right. is, we, we do have academic research to suggest that athletic facility spending, once you reach above a minimum viable standard, doesn't meaningfully improve recruiting. There's an argument to be made that if you're, you know you don't have an elite coach, it's better to pay that coach two and a half million than five million. Paying him mm-hmm. five million isn't going to make him magically better. Um, Dave Doran making $6 million a year isn't going to get North Carolina State into the top 25 to finish the season. It's 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 trying to figure out how to actually spend that effectively. Mm-hmm. I mean, because Clemson's yes. been able to be, be successful. I, I, don't, I, I suspect what I would say is the diminishing returns point is not what a football coach would say or an administrator would say. But they also have an incentive to always be pushing for more money that, get, that, that, that limits oh, for the sure. things that aren't in their control. That might become a bigger question for the ACC over the next couple of years, I imagine. Yeah, I, I think that that's true, too. It's, it's about how you spend money, too, and not just that you're spending it. I think that's a good point as well. And, you know, Mac Brown talked about this in the offseason in terms of, like, him wanting to take North Carolina from an okay football program to, you know, take it up a step or take it up a notch. And one of the things he pointed to was just that anytime he's come to the administration or the donors and said, we need X, you know, they've delivered for him. And he's like, I try not to ask for anything that's not going to help us win. And, you know, whether it's a raise for an assistant to keep him there or you know some improvement to a locker room or what have you but it's mostly with the assistants from what he was saying it's just like if, if i feel like i need x amount to keep an assistant here and so they they don't take another job they've yeah. mostly you know they've come through for me and i think that's important too right and that's something we see i think in a lot of acc football jobs like i mentioned jeff halfley who i think is a really really good coach at boston college but we all know that in all likelihood, if he starts to have success, a bigger program is going to pick him off and he's not going to stay in Chestnut Hill. So, you know, and, and we've wondered when Dave Clawson's going to get poached from Wake as well. Like uh, he's an excellent coach, but when somebody going to wise up and be like, oh, wow, I want Dave Clawson to come rebuild my football program and I can throw way more money at him than Wake Forest can. And so, you know, that that'll be an interesting thing to watch, too. It's just, you know, can you spend money to keep the good coaches around when you do find one? If if athletic directors if some school decided to let college football Twitter just be an athletic director, 
David Clawson's going to get a better job, I think. There would be a lot of other problems. The playbook would have six plays, and like they're all basically like wheel routes to fat guys and then like fake punts, oh, and it, it wouldn't be sustainable, but I'm sure he would do an excellent job. I, I love I love Dave. I did ask him because uh, the realignment story broke uh, during ACC media days. So I I wanted to get at least one coach and see what they thought of it. And I I asked uh, I asked Dave Clawson, and he was like, you know, I don't think Oklahoma, Texas, or the SEC care at all what the coach of Wake Forest has to say. <laughs> I was like, that's shockingly self aware for a football yeah. coach to say. But but I care, Dave. That's what I am asking you. I, I wasn't no, thinking on my feet as a journalist, and I should have said that because I do care what he thinks. He's actually a very smart guy. Uh, you know, has graduate degree. Went to Williams College, I believe. He's a sneaky smart man. No, like, yeah, he like smart. Sp- spent like his whole first half of his career at like all of these like fancy pants like yep. private schools up in the Northeast. And, and then like, you know, to send him to like the Bowling Green, I think would have been a, uh, <laughs> was, was a challenge. I should, I should talk to him about that next time I talk to him on, on a couple of different levels, but almost got very, very well acquainted with Bowling Green's library. Um, I mean, I, yeah, like there are, are some legitimately very thoughtful football coaches in this league. Yes. Um, I think Mac Brown is thoughtful. Bronco Mendenhall is weird, but, but very thoughtful. Uh, there are there are others, may, you know, maybe more so than than other leagues. I, I probably Dave Doran yeah. actually was a bio yeah. pre med major in college was and he was really? on the dean's list at Drake. Yeah, I didn't know this because somebody asked me for a mailbag who would win, which coach would win an AC, like ACC coach would win a spelling bee. And I ended up uh, it was between Clawson and Mendenhall for me. I ended up going with Mendenhall because he's a voracious reader, and I thought that would help him. Uh, in the spelling bee, but it was close between him and Clawson. But uh, when I was looking up the educational backgrounds, I was like, dang, Dave Doran, I didn't know you had a graduate degree and were pre-med. Like, okay. Okay. So next, Brian, next time we talk to Dave Doran, let's ask him about the Krebs cycle. Right. I kind of wish now that like existential news didn't break during media days. I think that would be a very fun segment to go and just ask people questions about their undergraduate education experience. Yeah. Six, I, uh, <laughs> yeah. If somebody wants to embarrass me, like come back and like ask me like sophomore year political science questions about like, oh d- like developing country economics. And I'm, I'm going to look very stupid. Yeah, I, I actually I usually take media days and to ask non news related questions. So I did ask Dino Babers because he was a big Game of Thrones fan, like what his new show is. And he said he hasn't been able to find one that grabbed him like Game of Thrones. And he's still sad about it. And that made me sad because I love Dino. <laughs> I, I mean, if I was Dino, I would probably want to talk more about TV than I would football. Uh, well, he he has given over the years, he's given me several great Game of Thrones breakdowns. <laughs> I, I really like Dino very much. And I'm going to be sad when he is inevitably gone, which probably will happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, let's just hope he doesn't have a, a his an orange wedding of, of his own. You know, it, it's funny you mentioned media <laughs> days. You know, I, I, the transition was it was just right there. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, you know, it, it's funny you mentioned media days. If if you can rewind time to to go back before in the before time before Oklahoma and Texas really kind of blew up college football. <laughs> I love how that's the new before time. That is, we used to be doing like before I could sneeze and in a grocery store and not be like have the national guard come at me. Well, now it's, it's before Texas. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. But, you know, it's funny because the, the talking point around college football was was the college football playoff expansion. Jim Phillips seems like he's been the one guy that has kind of poured a little cold water right from the beginning on, hey, let's go to 12 teams. Now, I think we certainly after Oklahoma and Texas have made the move and everything that's gone on with the Big 12 and the SEC and, and even the personal relationship between Greg Sankey and what he's been able to do the last say 18 months um you know everybody else has kind of taken a step back but jim phillips was one that right from the get-go that said hey let's slow down let's study this let's let's ask around we're starting to see some of the coaches around the league say you know what that that's going to be too many games i'm curious what what is the reaction from the acc in general to moving to 12 teams and 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 do you think they would maybe even stand in the way of of expansion uh you know to 12 just because of some of the issues they brought up well, yeah, and it's interesting. Um, so Jack Swarbrick, obviously, Notre Dame's AD has been very in favor of this idea for reasons we, again, now <laughs> becoming clearer. Um, and and he went and presented this to um, everybody at ACC Media Days, coaches, ADs, and everything else. Um, they'd obviously already seen sort of a, you know, presentation of what it would look like. Um, I don't think anybody necessarily changed their minds after that. And um, you know, it's interesting. Phillips asked, I think, all of the ACC coaches to go to their own players and ask them what they thought. 
of various things. And I know one of them was the 12 team playoff, because when we talked to Mac Brown earlier this summer, he was saying that he asked his players about it. And then we asked the players about it as well at media day, what they thought of the 12 team playoff, North Carolina would have been in a 12 team playoff last year. Um, and yet, that. And, and so would Coxtel, which would have right. been a delight. Oh, that would have ruled. Yeah, that would have been awesome. But uh, North Carolina, their players were all very much against it. Like their thing was, look, you know, there are only so many teams that are good enough to win a national championship and there are not 12 of them. And that's, that's what the players are saying. And I even pushed back on, uh, I forget which player I was talking to that. I said this, I was like, you know, you guys would have gotten in. Right. And they were like, yeah, but we wouldn't have deserved it. And I was like, Oh, okay. And they, they, their thing is just that it's too many games and that there aren't that many teams good enough to win the national title. And I, I mean, it makes sense when you think about it. I mean, the reasons that, you know, they're sort of bringing up now, will the players be listened to? And that's something Mac brought up. He's like, will the players actually be listened to and heeded here? You know, who knows? They're not getting a, a, a big voice or a big say as it is, but uh, yeah, you, you do get the sense though, that I think the ACC would push back on that. Um, and you also get the sense that maybe it, it's going to be interesting to see sort of the calculus here because i know some of the other leagues are going to want to do everything they can to make sure notre dame does not join and if a 12 team playoff exists in its current form notre dame is less likely to join so that'll be an interesting thing too right because some of the other leagues might want to push against it for obvious reasons and it's probably still in their better interest to push against the 12 team playoff even if notre dame joined the acc as a result of that but that'll be an interesting sort of uh, storyline to watch as well because they're going to want to do everything they can to make it uh, so that Notre Dame does not have to join the ACC. That is the I'm, – I'm, I'm glad you mentioned all that. We, we can kind of get out of here on this. If, if This has kind of been a, a pet peeve for me when uh, – conference realignment kind of brings out grifter internet right and there's this become this idea that notre dame is a free agent which is not really no, true definitely and not it's definitely not <laughs> and also yeah there's a pretty compelling kind of like game theory here for these other leagues um is it it is it is it may be better for other leagues for notre dame to not be in the acc than it yes. would be to chase the small percentage of a chance that you can get them in your league um and so the status quo kind of works for everybody but jim phillips yeah, sort of. Right. But that's where the 12 team playoff thing right. becomes interesting to me, because, again, now that we're seeing this Super League form, I think you'll see the other power five leagues go, oh, no, 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 no. Wait a minute, because they know what's going to happen with a 12 team playoff and a league that looks like that, considering the SEC was already getting the lion's share of the playoff teams anyways. So it's like, no, I, I think you'll see more pushback from other leagues, too, and not just the ACC. Um, now that this is going on, but you know, without the, the expansion thing, I think that, yeah, I think that they probably would have just said, okay, we'll, we'll deal with this 12 team playoff because maybe at least in part, it would mean that Notre Dame doesn't join the ACC. I think they would have been cool with it for that reason, but I think maybe they'll push back against it, uh, because of the reasons that we know now yeah. uh, for the 12 team play. But yeah, it, it, that is something that's worth watching. It's because like you said, Notre Dame is not a free agent. They are not going to go to another league, but it is in the interests of the other leagues to keep them out of the ACC. Laura, this, this has been super helpful. Um, I, I is, am not someone who is prone to this sentiment and I'm not somebody who says this a lot on the air. I'm excited to watch the ACC football this year. Like you know, there's oh a, not just because I care about we know who's <laughs> we know who's going to win the league, right? But I, with the exception well, of the Duke, we probably well, know. we probably know this. Th- if th- if, if there's a year that someone else wins it, it's probably this one. That, that that's that's true. It, that's it, what it, makes it interesting yeah. to me. It could be North Carolina, but the what teams else? four through yeah. eleven, I'm. I'm really interested in because I could see any number of different combinations there and a whole bunch of scenarios that can make a whole lot of people very angry, um, which is what I, I'm here for. See, and, this is and, why and coastal you, yeah. football rules. Like, I'm I don't never care bored. what anybody says. I love coastal football. I will. I argue with people over coastal division football. I love coastal football because you never know what's going to happen. Lauren Brownlow, yeah. Yes. Put Pitt in, baby. Put That's Pitt right. in. Yeah. <laughs> Lauren, real quick, where can our listeners – Find and listen to you on the off chance that they're not already familiar with you. Um, oh, by the way, Pitt does uh, host Clemson this year, just FYI. Um, <laughs> and late in the year, too. Um, yeah, spicy. At L.E. Brownlow on Twitter. Um, I am on 99.9 The Fan here in Raleigh locally uh, in the afternoons uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays at, I guess, it's at 4 o'clock now because pandemic rules have shifted yet again. And so my time changed. But And then I am also on WRALsportsfan.com. Oh, and I have a podcast called An ACC Podcast. 
Yeah, the unfortunately, the ACC podcast. Your co-host is is a degenerate deviant who we can't possibly promote here on this program. <laughs> but I'm sure that what you do is very is very fine. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, thank thank you so much, Lauren. We appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, y'all. Uh, friends, in, in case this was kind of an inside joke, uh, the ACC podcast is run between Lauren and my old deputy at SB Nation, Caroline Darney. She is a, a Virginia super fan. She's she's great. Um, I'm, I, I just needed to rass her on the off chance that she was still listening to this. I'm sure you should you should still listen to that to that podcast. Um, I I really am excited about this league. I mean, not just because uh, there's a potential for all kinds of weird realignment and, and structural craziness here, because this is one of the kind of like how the Big Twelve was like the league that everyone was like, eh, maybe something weird might happen over like the last couple of years, and then it did when you weren't expecting it. I could see a world where that's the ACC in a couple of years, but uh, this year. I mean, yeah, Lauren is right. If, if if you ever want to pick a season where the proverbial invincible team is vulnerable, um, I know our last guest, Richard Johnson, has been telling everybody who would listen that Alabama is going to lose two games this year. And if I don't think you have to squint that hard to imagine a scenario where Clemson doesn't at least doesn't go undefeated in ACC play this year. Not to say that they're not really good, but like that's that's not crazy, right? Well, my my official picks are not not in. We're still still doing some studying, but I I, I almost think you know I I know there's there's a lot to talk about you know, DJ Uyunglele and and him taking over for Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. But uh, I you know th- with what they got coming back, especially defensively, I, you know I almost think this this might be Clemson's year to really take advantage of of an Alabama team in transition, an Ohio State team that's in transition. They obviously lost a ton of talent off of both those uh, elite programs. Uh, I know there's there's Oklahoma out there circling. There's a lot of other contenders, but maybe this is another year where, where Dabo maybe ahead of schedule can can take advantage of of things that have happened out there and take advantage of of a league that while it is getting better, especially in the middle and, and lower ends, um, you know, I, I think the path is, is there for not only Clemson to, to win the ACC again and continue this sustained dominance, but uh, you know, win another national title. And, and that more than anything, I think given all the transition that's been happening out there can, can really help the perception of the ACC. And uh, I, I think it, it's going to be fascinating too with, with the new commissioner in, you know, how, how do they navigate things? I think we've already started to see um, how COVID-19 has, has impacted the ACC uh, given what happened with the NC, NC state baseball team. It's going to be continue to be a, a thing in, in during football season and yeah. throughout all the other sports. And uh, I mean, it's just really one of the more fascinating stories out there in college football. You know, yes, realignment is, is kind of hanging over the head. Of, of, of every conference nowadays outside of the SEC, perhaps, but um, you know, really the ACC, it, it, it's a league in transition, you know, especially there in Tobacco Road where you are having Coach K retire. Uh, Roy's already out the, out the door. You have athletic directors turning over. We've mentioned Florida State, um, you know, their leadership uh, positions are turning over. So it's just really a, a league in transition right now and, and, and putting a bit of a break between the past, uh, which was obviously basketball centric, and, and turning that eye towards football and what it can do on the gridiron. Yeah, I, I guess the, the last thing that I'm curious about, I mean, we can get, kind of get out of here, is, is that what happens to some of these other sports as that transition to football becomes more explicit? Like, this is an amazing women's soccer league. This is a, we already know it's an amazing men's and women's basketball conference. It's great at lacrosse, it's great at just about any other sport that it, it actually sponsors. I don't. I don't know if it's going to be a one-to-one thing. If 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 you start spending a little bit more money on football coaches, or you start spending putting the the attention a little bit more on football, um, which which in the in the short term will mean putting the spotlight on some decidedly average football. If that has an immediate takeaway from some of these other sports, or or maybe not. I, I maybe maybe you really can't have your cake and eat it too. Uh, you know what I'm well, yeah, we'll, we'll find out. And, and I think it's especially going to be important at some of those perceived football powers. Obviously, Florida State is be, being one of them, but, you know, certainly Miami and, and, and what they've been able to do under Manny Diaz, getting back to certainly a level that, that they're they're on the right track, I guess. And, and so uh, that that's another program that I think a lot of pe- folks are going to keep an eye on in terms of how they're building, where they're building to, and and, and can they really serve as that true counterweight to to Clemson? That's what really the league needs. Um, you know, they, they, they need that foil. And, uh, they haven't had it really so far. There was a time where, where Clemson and Florida State were trading blows back and forth, but um, you know it, it's going to be just really interesting to see uh, how the league navigates some some really choppy waters ahead. Yeah, well, uh, we'll be we'll be talking about that more on this podcast. We'll be writing about it on Extra Points, which is a pretty good newsletter that I think you may enjoy. Remember, you can use promo code pod, uh, podcast. 
when you're checking out to save a little bit, a couple, couple, a couple extra bucks there on your extra point subscription. Uh, you can find me at Matt Brown EP on Twitter at extra points MB on Instagram at Matt at extra points MB for email. You can mail me something if you really want. My PO box is, is, is out there somewhere. And you can, of course, find everything I'm doing here on Extra Points. Brian, where can we find you? As always, on, on Twitter, Brian D. Fisher, B-R-Y-A-N-D-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Some, uh, lot, a lot happening out there in the, in the space. And so if you want to follow me for Texas State hi- state hearings on, on realignment and uh, whatever else is happening in college sports, that's the best place to find me. All right. Well, check check Brian's timeline for some extra slander here about Texas's record against TCU over the past couple of years. Um, and we'll get back up in touch with you next week with another conference preview. In the meantime, I'm Matt. That's Brian. Thanks for listening. Catch up with you next week. <laughs>